Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. All right, welcome to Tone Duff. I believe this is number 11. Uh, I lose count sometimes, but I think it's the 11th one. Uh, it's certainly going to be the heaviest one. We have some uh, lifelong heavy metal and other styles of music musicians, but very much identified with heavy metal. Uh, we have Scott Carlson and Pat Hode. Brewerea, yes. Repulsion, many other bands in the house that we will get to. Uh, and, you know, longtime friends of mine been over here many times. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Good to be uh, here, Bruce. Uh, both of you were by for our annual Christmas tamales night, but Scott, prior to that, you had made an appearance, a recording here. We were doing the vocals for Church of Misery, and it was record-breaking in that it was the first time here at Tone Duff people, it didn't actually happen, but we had two threats to call the police. Now, to make that more interesting, <laughs> no music was on the speakers. Wow. This was just Scott Carlson's acoustic voice that uh, got the federales a little little hoped up. I've had my, uh, Frank Meyer over here screaming his lungs out, Adam Bones, but... But it was the frequencies from hell. Uh, yeah, it was. Right. Uh, I think it was maybe content driven. Emanating, e emanating yeah. from the diaphragm of S. Carl. Right. It might have been yeah. the content. A yeah. little bit. I was a little. Uh, I was embarrassed. I got to say. Man. Screaming tales of murder at the top of your lungs <laughs> yeah. uh, on a weeknight. Yeah, Church of Misery, <laughs> which uh, was a number one record in Japan, number one import. Yeah, number one in How about Japan. That? <laughs> I was very proud of that. Uh, so that's actually technically your latest thing out, correct? Yes. So, yes, it is. Okay. Have you got something in the pipeline coming up? I do. I have a couple things. Uh, um, you want me to talk about them? We can. We're just going to ping pong around. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm actually going over to the UK, I think in February, to record an album with uh, Septic Tank, which we already have a, we have a single out already. We put it out a few years ago. It's basically myself and Lee Dorian and Gaz Jennings from Cathedral. And with the Dead and Lucifer, sure. their bands since, uh, and Death Penalty, the bands that they've done since Cathedral. Um, but when we were years ago, my first stint in Cathedral back in the early '90s, um, we talked a lot while we were on tour about doing like a discharge kind of uh, thing. Everybody loves discharge in that circle. And I mean, I think most people that like extreme music like discharge, right? That's a given. And uh, so. Um, yeah, they're like Black Sabbath, right? I mean, they're this one of the we played with them of, and they of, of they sound checked with Iron Man. Yeah, so I mean, there's 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 definitely a, a a difference between the singles and then maybe the the YEP is when you start yeah. to hear that the the the, the formation of the that when the, Bones uh, came in, yeah, of that uh, signature sound, yeah. and then see nothing, hear nothing. That's when it was like you know full. Yeah full fruition so that, that album kind of blew my brains out when i heard yeah. it for the first time it was just so bleak and and graphic and unrelenting skin right? looking like bloody hearted meat yeah. well i can see so, you and lee both being into that so you've yeah. been talking about this since back in the 90s yeah, with we, Cathedral. we did a we had rotating drummers for like about a year after our drummer left and at the time that we started working on this, we had Barry Stern, who was in 
uh, Zotrope and Trouble played on mm -hmm. some of the classic Trouble albums, the ones that were released on Deaf American. The great Barry Stern. Yeah, that's right. Barry Stern, the late great Barry Rest Stern, unfortunately. Rest in peace, yeah. Uh, great guy. He was living in, I was living in Chicago at the time, and he was there. I saw him stacking chairs at the at Avalon nightclub one night, and we were looking for a drummer, and I told Lee and Gaz, I'm like, Barry Stern from Trouble isn't doing anything. He's fucking <laughs> stacking chairs at the end of the night at the local rock club, you know? So we brought Barry in to play some gigs, and one day we were rehearsing, and we just started. He nailed the song so quickly that we had lots of spare time in rehearsal, and we started, like, whipping up these kind of discharge tunes, and we recorded about 12 song ideas in, like, 1993, and those uh, gas fucked up the tape or something and and we lost all that music so you know circle around to whatever it was 2011 2012 when we were working on the last cathedral album um we had a couple extra days in the studio and we are uh, the engineer on the record um jamie uh gomez arellano who produced the first ghost record and the last angel witch record and age of taurus he's an amazing last paradise lost He's an amazing heavy rock producer. He's also a great drummer. So we threw him behind the kit, put his assistant uh, engineer on the board, and wrote and recorded four songs in one day. We we write a song, then record it. Write a song, record it until we had four before we had to leave uh, the house to go to a birthday party or leave the studio. So now we're going to do a full length album of that. In no, you go back to these songs that got where the tape got lost. Does anyone no, remember? No, Does we anyone don't have, have a them, copy no, of we're it? Just writing new stuff. No one even has a cassette to refer no, to. No, no, that's what it was. Oh, that yeah, still works with cassettes to this day. All right, he's old school like that. So that I'm doing in February, and then at some point next year, I think we will finish the finally the second Death Breath album, which is basically ten years in the making, on and off. And who's involved in that besides you? Uh, Nick Anderson from The Helicopters and Entombed, and Robert Pearson from Robert Pearson's Humbucker, which is an amazing, amazing guitar player, singer. And is, has Nick been doing any kind of rock and roll-y stuff since uh, The Helicopters? Yeah, there's a brand new Imperial State Electric record out I right don't now. Know, I don't know that. Oh yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Alright. Do you know this? Imperial State? No. Were you a Helicopters fan? I, I yeah. For the, for, you know, uh, what's the what's the red record? With the guy Super with the shitty to the max. Yes, that well, one. that was kind of the first that's, one that everyone heard. Yeah, that's the only yeah. record I have. That's you know. That last record, they sounded like big star or something. It was yeah. a real change. But a lot of people got off the got off them. But I liked it. I and then it was what good. was that other band? He had something baby. No, that was Dragon. Had the was in the backyard babies. Backyard babies. Yeah. 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 You you should like uh, Imperial State Electric then. Probably. They've got about four or five albums. I gotta, I'll look it up. He's very prolific with that band, and you know who else is in it is uh, what's his name? Dolph, the guy that sang and played bass in the uh, the Dotsons. Oh, yeah. Okay. That guy is the bass player. That's it, because he's those guys are Australian, right? They're from New Zealand, but I think he married uh, an Australian, I mean a, a Swedish girl or something, oh. and lives in Stockholm. So, yes, you would. So yeah, he's in he's in um, Imperial State, and it's cool. You okay. like it. It's sort of a continuation of where the helicopters are going, sort of like whatever uh, Nick's latest fascination. Now, that's just what I gather, just knowing him for so many years. Like you'll hear whatever he's currently obsessed with, like 
coming out of the grooves in his recordings. That's my wife's favorite band was the Helicopters during their during their tenure. Um, so you are yes, on the sir. new Brujeria, which uh, just came out right a month ago. Been out a month. Uh, September sixteenth, two thousand sixteen. Let's see. Official release date, which is Mexican Independence Day. That's right. That's important in the brewery in, saga. In the, in the uh, and I also noticed I was digging back through what you guys have been doing. Well, first off, maybe not everyone is that hip to what brewery is. Uh, can you give like a quick rundown, uh, just the vibe uh, of it, what it's all about? Just, uh, just to condense things. Uh, everyone knows the singer Juan Brujo. I won't mention his real name, but you know. People know who he is, and and I I've known him uh, since high school, since we were 13 years old, and we've always had a fascination with pr primarily with punk rock bands like Fear and you know Black Flag. Growing up here, we were born and raised here, so we you know came up with, at, right at the right time. Right, as hardcore was exploding. Yeah, yeah, we were you know 15. 16 right as that was was taken off so it was you know right place right time and so we you know went through high school together and and you know stayed in contact after high school and would start going to these backyard metal shows you know they'd have in east la that that were you know a dime a dozen back in those days and and uh the thing that that interested us were with these bands with hispanics in them and you know right it was evident that they had just gotten here pretty much and and they're they're playing this music but they're they're speaking english they're singing in english and it seemed real forced and and not natural and we're talking man you know somebody's gotta take a different approach with this and you know do uh, uh you know embrace the mother tongue you know and 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 let's see what we can do with this so that's that's more or less where the the brujeria idea was born and uh, fast forward to, to 1990 we got together uh, with Dino uh, Cazares who was playing in a band at the time called the Douche Lords uh, and Billy Gould was another that's it, right same it, it was, he was in the same class mm -hmm. same high, high school classes as Brew and myself and also Roddy Bottom from Faithum. Wait, they? so they grew up down here? I thought they were uh, yeah, yeah. Bay Area. They are, they are L.A. cats. Okay. And uh, Billy Gould's godfather, by the way, is, is Bob Newhart. I hope I uh, didn't let out a uh, deadly secret there. but <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so we got together with all those guys and, and just for, for shits and giggles decided to put together that demo uh, which became the Demoniaco EP, and uh, I gave it out to a few people. And the the first guy that that gave us a call back was Big Frank uh, Harrison from Nemesis Nemesis Records and Zed Records, one of the famous mm -hmm. uh, co-proprietors of Zed Records. And so he he decided to put it out officially, and that was the first uh, Brujeria EP, first record. On, on Nemesis Demoniaco. I played drums on it. Dino's playing guitar, Billy Bass, and Brujo on vocals. And that's where it started. And then, so also, uh, as a bit of a sidetrack, you guys had Viva Presidente Trump 
uh, came out on yes. Record Store Day, already predicting right. that uh, the wall would be built and y'all would pay for it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that turned out, that, that was a real, we had some of those, we had some leftover instrumental tracks. We had done some recording in a barn in, in Belgium, in the middle of a field in Belgium, one of the most surreal experiences uh, I've ever uh, endured. But that you know, n midnight in the middle of a field in in Belgium, and it's and it's bright. It's it's still light out. I wouldn't say midnight. Yeah. It's at around eleven and twelve. Okay, 11 no, I know, I know. But it's still light yeah. out. And and so we we recorded a bunch of tracks. So and someone had a mobile thing or something? Uh, no. They, well, the the guy we had uh, who eventually became a Brujeria rhythm guitarist for a while, AK, uh, great Belgian uh, engineer for anybody who's out there. Um, he he has this little barn set up and just in the middle of nowhere, man. How and did you even find out about that? He, he it was his house. Oh, and he invited you on to yeah. make a record. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So this track was left over. That's where we also recorded uh, the, our version of uh, California Uber Aslan, which is the last track on the on the album. Yeah. Uh, dedicated to Jello there, Helatino. But uh, that that one track was left over, and we used it for Trump for the for the Trump. What was it? Did did that sell out because of a record store day novelty? Did it just blast out? Or yeah, it was gone in in yeah, literally hours. It was gone. Wow, and the artwork, yeah, brilliant artwork. And yeah, the next day, good. of course, you know eBay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And the amazing uh, Brujo uh, photo shoot for Decibel magazine. Oh yeah, with the uh, with Incredible. the with the, the painted uh, machete. Yes, and all the decapitated Trump photos. <laughs> well, so here's what here's my prediction. Nuclear blast paid a paid a lot of excuse me, Bruce. They paid a lot of money for that Bruce uh, for that uh, Trump uh, f half semi -F effigy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, where does that. one get a uh, Trump effigy? I mean, it's well, not that you know, difficult. Trump pinatas are selling out all over town. So, uh, yeah. you know. So I heard an interesting. I heard two interesting points about the election, which is literal days after uh, after this comes on. So I hope it's you all great. go vote. But you have missed the window to to register. If you're, you know, I hope you did. It's coming down. It's rigged, right? Yeah, it's rigged, of course. But um, not if not if not if I win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll not if I go. win. So two things I heard about this that I thought were interesting. One was that, uh, and I, it got me thinking that uh, Trump has already kind of figured out he's not going to win. So he's already spinning everything and gearing up for his next move, which is going to be Trump TV. He's going to be like a combination of Oprah and, you know, Republican Hitler. And he's just going to be bombarding us with like... You know, brainwashing this, material. This is the return of Morton yeah. Downey Jr. Yeah, just like, but tw can you imagine? It's it's not twenty four hours a day enough turn now. Wars into a mainstream news outlet. <laughs> oh my outlet. god! And but I think that's what's going to happen. He's just going to flip. And then another thing, I saw a guy on uh, Hannity's going to have competition. Oh yeah, on Trevor. Oh, he's uh, going to hire him. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, they'll probably be in cahoots. Yeah. But an interesting thing that I, I saw on Trevor Noah's show, a guy that's been covering the election from the beginning that works for Rolling Stone, I can't remember his name, but he was saying that whatever happens, it's too late to turn back now. Where we arrived at this election, that's the way it's going to be on out. Whoever it is, it's going to be not about the issues, it's going to be all the, just, just you know, it's going to be like Twitter dirt, running for president. Dirt. Yeah. 
So where are you, where are you guys weighing in on how this is all Sadly. like kind of taken over our lives for the last several months? Uh, well, it's just as sad as it always is, but uh, it feels worse this time. It feels worse, and I don't uh, think that's because we're older. I think uh, it just feels like America needs to take a fucking shower. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's never good. But um, Donald Trump uh, has really, I guess, exposed. I mean, in a way, maybe he's doing the world a favor, because or, or America at least, you know, like just sort of like let's get all of this out in the open, like all of this, you know, as they call it in the media, like dog whistle, um, you know, rhetoric about you know racism and xenophobia and whatnot. It's sort of being brought out and just put right out there in the mainstream and it's something that the Republican Party has sort of been toying with for a long time not that I really support either party but I definitely don't support the Republican Party and 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 they had they kind of enjoyed all these years of people like saying Obama's a Muslim and all this shit you know and like um, it, it's just stoked the fires of idiocracy it, well, yeah, that you can't help but think about that movie when just everything's going on. You know, how preposterous it seemed that a wrestler would be president, but now we got a guy that ran a you know reality TV show. He's no more qualified than a wrestler. Really, it's Governor Ventura, pro wrestler. That's right. That was a real thing. Yes, yes we would be in better hands. Oh yeah, with Jesse Ventura. Sure, we would. But look, looking at things from you know maybe from the brujeria perspective uh, it's it's a bridge too far man it's his he's gone too far and there's no return at least with the with that community with with how yeah. whatever you want to refer to it as Latino Hispanic whatever it's it's a bridge too far man and irreparable damage you know so I think the whole time he's been, he's just been sort of building a fan base for some sort of media outlet, you know, based on like taking the whole Fox News um, mindset to a, to another level, up to the bright bar. To where they Cold won't Wars. even go. Yeah, I mean, you can't win, uh, well, hopefully you can't win the presidency on that sort of a platform. There's too many... There's too many of us out there that are just calling complete. Well, you would think so, but also when you look at the numbers, it's not that. It's not like a landslide is coming up or anything like no, that. No, we're we're about thirty nine, forty percent of our country. I was talking to Bill Steer from Carcass about this over the summer because he we were he brought up the election when we were hanging out this summer, and uh, it was right after the Brexit vote, and um, he said, you know, he he said something sort of optimistic like. I like to think that people are not really as racist as they seem, and I'm like, I think, Bill. Unfortunately, it's you know, it's that's a, that's a nice thought, but really, it's the other way around. Like, we're finding out right now that America is about forty percent racist. That sounds about right. I mean, that really does sound about right. That doesn't shock me in the least bit. The things that come out of Donald Trump's mouth are not shocking to me because. He's always been an asshole, and now it's just out in the open. But and I wonder how much of it is people that are 
are racist or sexist and they're feeling like, okay, now there's someone that thinks the way I do and I can sort of be backed up. I sort of don't get it, the feeling that it's that. I feel like it's more like people that feel backed up against the wall. They can't get ahead. They can't get a better job. You know, the kids can't get to college. They've fallen into this belief that somehow this millionaire, billionaire genius is going to drop a nickel in the slot and fix these problems for them and they'll they'll put up with the other stuff to get their lives back in shape. And I don't know what he said that put that they gave them something to believe in in that direction, but that that seems to be what it is. I You're right. I can't figure out any other yeah, explanation. It is, it is kind of like uh probably wrong to say that like 39-40% of you know like the America is racist. Well, it's probably not far that. off from that. But <laughs> I, I, don't know, but I don't know if I want to get into what, the math of it. But, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, too. I mean, it's definitely a case of, like, you know, the blaming... It's easy to blame Mexicans because, uh, you know, the Latino population is growing all over the country. Not, you know, here, it's just... It, it, this is, you know, Latino land in my Central. opinion. You know, we're just... we're lucky to be able to be part of it you know you go to a place like georgia or something and there's like fucking taco stands popping up and there's latinos moving there and working and building and and um and the population is growing and, if, and it should but that is definitely going to take away from you know it kind of like is shrinking the the white male majority and i think this is sort of a last you know, last gasp, gasp of all last that. Gasp for for that whole mindset, it's shrinking. You know. Yeah. Well, we got to move forward. Yeah. You can't just keep moving sideways here. Everyone's here. kids listens to white kids. I'm talking about listen to hip hop. It's been for decades now, and that's all. Like you know, they learn from that. People learn. Kids are influenced by music and uh, that's straight heroes out of, straight and, out of Compton right yeah there, exactly <laughs> and and sooner or later yeah all for the better or you know we're not going to have a white majority no which was also sung by a Latin guy Chavo Pederas yeah white minority yeah Ron Chavo. Reyes Yes, Ron Reyes. Chavo Pederast, <laughs> as, as he refers, okay. as he's referred to, to say, on the record. I really sorry. liked him as a singer. He was that 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 Jealous Again EP is he's pretty smoking. My favorite Black Flag release. That that you've got uh, Jealous Again, you know, No Values, uh, White Minority. Yeah, it's killer. Yeah, Robo, and you've got Mugger too on the. Uh, on the last song, you pretty bet. You bet. We've got something personal. Yeah, pretty great. <clears throat> Disclaimer: I know nothing about politics, so. Oh, you saying. know, <laughs> I'm sure people aren't turning in, tuning in to find out uh, yeah. all My our opinions on this. But I mean, I think pretty, it's nice to get it out a little bit, you know, yeah. because uh, I, I think, in a way, you know, musicians and people in the arts in general are just kind of thought of to not have an opinion that's of any value at all and that we're just not really in and, and I, I can kind of see that I mean I know a lot of people that I deal with that are like you know I just I don't like the way it's going so I'm just not going to vote I'm like well you know there's other stuff on the ballot besides right. just that they're you like know, legalizing it legalizing yes. it exactly man weeds on the ballot you know vote and there'd yeah. be all kinds of stuff death penalty 
They, I've not heard one thing Senators. about that. That's on the ballot. Yeah. That's pretty important. So, anyway. I haven't busted out the... Uh, I haven't read through the, the whole thing yet. Yeah, sample I ballot. sit down yeah. like tomorrow night and start looking at it's it. It's a thing. I do the vote by uh, mail thing. Me too. Oh, you so. do? Yeah. I like to go down and actually see the community. Because that way you can, you can take your time. You can sit there, spread everything out on the table. You know, throw darts. <laughs> I go in with a little cheat yeah. sheet and yeah. you know, just replicate. Yeah, that's what I usually do. But I, I, this time, I figure the lines are going to be long because I got a feeling that, uh, especially around here, there's going to be huge turnout. Actually, so, that's a good well, point. Well, we better go down there uh, and, and patrol those right. those polling places there, Mr. Carlson, <laughs> just in case there's any hanky panky yeah, little rigging going, going on, on with the uh, frigging in the no, rigging. No, hanging uh, chads. When I went to vote in the primary, there was a really long line. I voted at the Toyota dealership on Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, that's kind of hot. <laughs> Over there across from the old X Theater. Yeah, across from the Museum of Death. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, so... There's a huge line out the door. My, my wife and I go over there early in the morning before work. And there's like two... During the primary, they have separate booths for Republicans and Democrats. And while we were there, probably 30 minutes, I saw one person come in, no line, go over to the Republican booth <laughs> and vote and split. What if, you, uh, what if you register no party? Which I think Elsa does. I, that's how I am too. That's so you go either way. Can you go vote in the Republican one? I'm not sure. I just stood there with my wife. I think I she's registered as Democrat. I got you. Well, it's a it's no a crazy thing. Yeah, no parties. The party is over. Um, you know, Scott. Let's talk a little bit about uh, repulsion, which is sort of like was was a game changer uh, as bands go. Uh, yet it was sort of. Something that sort of bubbled up. It was such an underground secret. A lot of people didn't find out about it till a little later on. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Tell us, tell us how that all came together. Well, it was um, me and the guitar player, Matt, who lives here in Los Angeles. Um, he's actually the one that sort of talked me into moving to Los Angeles back in the late 90s. But um, him and I started the band. Like, we, we met up. Uh, we kind of knew each other. We lived in the same neighborhood, but we didn't really start really hanging out together. And this was so in like, Flint, Michigan, yeah, yeah. if I remember. It's about ninth grade or something like that. And uh, we started, you know, goofing around, playing Judas Priest and stuff like that. And then um, over the next couple of years, you know, we got hip to hardcore and, um, you know, early thrash metal and stuff like that. And um, I guess that was sort of when we started realizing, like, you know, hey, man, we should start our own band, you know, and... So before that, I was just sitting in a bedroom learning songs yeah, together, exactly. that kind of thing? Yeah. I'd been doing that with my neighbor since I was about 12 years old, just sure. like playing guitar, and he had a drum kit. And so he ended up being the first drummer in Repulsion, which, you know, which at the time was we went through a few different names, but the first name we had was Tempter, which was named after the uh, Trouble Trouble. Song. Oh, and man. I just saw the Keeps skull. coming back to Trouble. I, it, I, the White you know, Owl. That was... I was thinking that the other night when the Skull played at the Viper Room and they ended their set with The Tempter. And I was like, oh yeah, I fucking nicked that song title for my first band name. So anyway, we, we just kind of like played around for a bit and um, started sort of honing the sound. And uh, we had this mentality that uh, we always wanted to be more than what we were listening to. Like when I heard Venom, you know, it was like, oh, this is cool. But 
Take if it. I was going to do something like it, it'd be faster or noisier or whatever. And, you know, we'd, we would listen to bands and always think like, well, you know, they've already done that. So we need to do something more extreme than that. And that was kind of somehow, for whatever reason, that was my mindset was always like, um, you know, it's as, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who, when we talk, you know, be talking to someone my age about metal bands or whatever, or hardcore bands from the early 80s. And they'll mention like some like second, what I consider a second tier band. And it's like, no, I never listened really to second tier bands because the, they were they were following in the footsteps of what other people had already done. So like, why would I want to listen to a band that sounds like Metallica? I already heard Metallica. Like I want to hear a band that sounds like Metallica, but fucking faster and heavier. So that was kind of like always like looking for the next thing, the next, it was like, you know, doing cocaine for the first time or something. It was like we were constantly looking for something that was more a little bit more intense than that. You so know? we heard Exodus for the first time. Exactly. Exodus, like when Exodus fucking were singing these crazy, crazy fucking lyrics, which I won't repeat, they're a little bit off color, but fucking insane fucking violent lyrics, you know, about fucking murder and rape and fucking plundering and fucking towns and shit and it was just fucking insane i couldn't believe they were, they were saying that yeah <laughs> i couldn't believe the things that they were saying in their lyrics you know and so to me that was like inspiration you know it was like oh wow you could say this so i was like okay i'm gonna say something even more fucked up than that you know and um that's just kind of how it progressed but i think when metal sort of grew out of hard rock <clears throat> i think hard rock was very just sort of, even though it was louder and crazier, in a lot of ways, traditional rock and roll values, like, we're going to write hits, we're going to get on the radio, we're going to do all that. Whereas when metal sort of sprung off of it, it became a thing almost immediately where I think most people that were into it deep were thought all the same way as you just yeah. described, like, well, wait, we heard that. Now, how do we tune it lower, play it faster, scream louder, make it more hard to understand, make it crazier lyric, just go farther, farther, farther. I mean... It, Sometimes I wonder, is there, when do you hit the wall with that stuff? Do you ever uh, have to I pull it back? I hit the wall back? with repulsion. That was it. I never, I've never done anything more extreme than that, because to me, it was kind of like, well, you know, to me that was, I know kids have taken it much further, especially with the production and stuff like that, and, you know, there's faster drummers and shit at this point, but for me, that was like the wall. We recorded that album, and I was like, that's it, I got nothing more to say about this particular subject. So we never did anything else. You know, we, we started to write again after we recorded that album. We went back into writing mode, and the inspiration was gone. Like, I was furiously writing right up until the time we recorded that album. There's songs on that album that were, like, you know, written, like, a week before we went into the studio. Two weeks after we got out of the studio, back in the rehearsal room, and just blank. You know, nothing there. So that was kind of how the band drifted apart. Were you the main driver when it came to uh, material? Uh, I think as far as like the concept and the image and everything like that, like I drew the logo, I drew the, you know, the skull, I kind of nicked it from a comic book, but I, I drew the logo and the skull, like the zombies, all that shit was my ideas. I wrote, I wrote all the lyrics and uh, Matt and I probably wrote like 50-50 on the music, something like that. So. I wrote a lot of the music as well. I played guitar. Um, I, 
played bass in the band, but I was also a guitar player. Not a good guitar player, but... Yeah, um, good enough to be in the Super Bees. Yeah, I mean, I, right. I, I wrote music, and then, like, sometimes I would have an idea, like, you know, the, the first song on the album, The Stench of Burning Death, like, I wrote the main riff to that, but I couldn't play it at the speed that I wanted it to be played at, so I showed it to Matt. I'm like, here's the riff. But he was, like, he's, like, an insanely good... He's a really amazing guitar player. So he... You know, it was like, oh, like this, and like, you know, played it at the speed. I'm like, that's it, you know. So we had a great, you know, creative uh, relationship back then. And, um, you know, that, that that album was written in the course of like six or seven months. You know, that whole, like, when we finally like honed it down to the concept that we wanted, it was like September of 85 to June of 86 when we recorded. That was all done in that like six or eight month period there and then it was over now not i, I don't mean to interject here oh do do but a after uh repulsion kind of went their their separate ways if we want to call it mm -hmm. that it now you and matt sort of still stuck together right oh uh, we and we hung out and stuff because I mean, you would eventually play with slaughter from canada right no no well we we were supposed to play some gigs with them but uh, you, you, chuck from Sh chuck schuldiner we played in death in actually death, you did. that was just before uh repulsion like really got serious but nothing was ever recorded with that lineup right i bought a couple of bootleg seven inches at bomb that well, had like uh rehearsal demos shane are you serious shane, uh, uh -huh. shane from napalm death swears by those the the death demos that yeah they're great you guys playing yeah there, well there was only rehearsal re there's some rehearsal recordings that we played on but all um, the stuff you read there, about right? it makes it sound like for whatever reason it didn't come together no no it didn't it was real short-lived we basically Matt and I went down there in the spring of 85, and by the fall of 85, we were back in Flint. Like, I mean, were you guys not delivering what Chuck had in his head that he thought it was going to come from it? I think it was more the opposite. Like, we, well, well, first of all, we went down there, and the drummer at the time in death was Cam Lee, who ended up becoming the vocalist of Matt, of Massacre, who, you know, have their own, you know, like Prior to that, it was uh, Mantis. Yeah. yeah. This death was called Mantis, yeah. and then... And then, uh, so Cam left and went and formed uh, Massacre, which took some time. But in the meantime, it, you know, Chuck and Matt and I were like sitting around deciding whether or not and how we were going to find another drummer, writing music. And the stuff that uh, I started writing and Matt started writing was like really, really fast. We were just into the extreme shit. We were listening to lots of hardcore. Chuck wasn't really much of a hardcore guy at all. And, um, the uh, stuff that Chuck was writing was more sort of he was getting trying to get more technical, but he really wasn't that great of a guitar player at the time. But they definitely did sort of become <clears throat> like the leading edge, fast techno-y, whatever you would Not call it. Not fast, them. but they definitely were known because they released an album in like '87, you know, one of the first death metal albums, I guess, in a way that came out commercially. But um, it wasn't that they were known for being fast or anything. It was just kind of, they were one of the, Chuck was definitely one of the progenitors of death metal. And we were getting faster and more extreme. And it just kind of like, you know, we didn't want to be technical at all. Even though Matt is like, a, I, in my opinion, a way better guitar player than Chuck, especially at the time. You know, Chuck definitely 
developed his own, um, you know, sound and approach. But at the time, uh, you know, we we just want to be really extreme. <laughs> okay. And and Matt and Chuck didn't he didn't really want to go in that direction. So it was pretty clear to us that we needed to go start our own band because we were never going to get what we wanted out of death. And how did you ping pong from Repulsion into Cathedral, which would have been the polar opposite, you know, in terms of, you know, just the style. And so all of a sudden you're back kind of back in the 70s doing super slow, heavy stuff. Well, don't forget the lead singer of Cathedral was the f singer of Napalm Death. Of course. On the first record, he sings on what, what side two of the first, and there was a couple singers on the first Napalm record. And he's also, uh, you know, I mean, he he started. He was. But he's I mean, known yeah. as the original vocalist from, from, of from enslavement. Right? You know, yeah, yeah. Or exactly. Fito is. Yeah. It, so that's the um, basically the same way that Lee did. You know, he just sort of like he was in that band and he's listening to Saint Vitus and Trouble and Black Sabbath and stuff and just you know when when. Uh, Napalm Death was almost like a collective, you know, the first album, both sides are different bands. There are no, or the, no, none of the guys that played on the first Napalm Death record are in the band now. Shane started on the second record. He is the senior member of yeah. Napalm Death and he was, you know, but it doesn't matter because the band was kind of a collective anyway. So, um, you know, Lee left, Bill Steer left and started Carcass. And when Lee left, he started Cathedral with Gaz. Um, and uh, I heard that album, the first album, Forest of Equilibrium, when it came out, and to me it was the best thing I'd ever heard at that time, like new music. I was like completely floored by it. And a couple years later I had the opportunity to play in the band, and it was like, for me, it was like I was joining my favorite band at the time. Which is a great feeling. Yeah. How, w how was that, how did that come, come about? How was that laid out to you? Uh, well, they got signed to Columbia, I remember that. Which is really strange, you know, looking back. <clears throat> the, that was the Eric yeah, connection, exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah they signed to Columbia straight up, right? They, they skipped did, actually, up yes. above the uh, yep. the indie. But the the uh, weird thing about that time was like, you know, I think Columbia somehow thought that uh, Eric was could be like the next sub pop or yeah, something. Yeah, you know? absolutely they did. And uh, so, and you know, Metallica was huge at that time, so they kind of saw like, well look at this little, you know, collection of bands over here, and they signed about six of the bands. So it was Fudge Tunnel, Godflesh, Carcass, Napalm Death, Cathedral, and Entombed, yeah. So all those bands released records on Columbia, all within a very short window. And um, Cathedral had an A&R guy at the label, and they uh, they put out an ad for a bass player. Basically, when they got signed and they knew that it was going to be like a lifestyle at that point, you know, it's like, okay, we're on a major label, we're going to have to tour the world endlessly. And um, the bass player, Griff, the original bass player, who was one of the founding members, just decided at that point that he wanted to be, you know, stay at home with his family and not be on the road all the time. So they put out an ad for a bass player in uh, Concrete Foundations. You know, sure. That rag. <laughs> yeah, it was like the industry. It was like the uh, the Variety oh, yeah. magazine of heavy metal. It was metal the billboard of, billboard of heavy metal. Of heavy metal. I remember the conventions it, yeah, at the uh, trade, Universal yeah. Hill. Yeah. Right, those 
those are legendary. Yes. Yeah, so uh, there was an ad in there, and a friend of mine from Detroit named Sean, Sean Kaczynski, he kept um, encouraging me to uh, audition or to call this number. And like a, probably a month went by, and I, I've, it, the ad was still there, and I finally called the number and uh, you know told them that I knew the guys in the band, and next thing I knew I was on a plane to England to jam with those guys. And they were my favorite band at the time, so it was a pretty... Amazing. You knew so most of the stuff, yeah. or you just woodshedded it. I just, quick? yeah, I, I did. I woodshedded for a couple of weeks. So did you have to uplift your existence and transplant yourself to uh, the UK? I was living in Chicago at the time, and I stayed there. We had we had major label money, so it was easy to like, hey, we have a tour booked, and uh, okay, you yeah. know, I would just fly over and rehearse right. for a few days. Um, when we demoed the the next record, which was Carnival Bazaar, which I ended up having to leave the band for financial reasons before we recorded it, but um, we demoed that whole thing and wrote a lot of the songs in Chicago. So. And was that record going to be for... Did they do two in a row for Columbia? That would have been for Columbia, but uh, we got dropped. So So it never to, came back out. Back to Earache. Back to Earache. Yeah. With, that, with those tracks. Yeah. yeah. I see. And Earache is... is it, are they still affiliated with Columbia? No. Because now they're like they are have they, some pretty big rock and roll. Oh yeah, they might be like Sony or something. They're probably distributed by Red. Was isn't that owned by Sony? Yeah, yeah. That would yeah, make so sense. there probably is some sort of connection again to the uh, to the motherland. <coughs> I wonder how much of that is that all? It's all in print still. The uh, yeah, I think the all the catalog. CDs are in print, and I think yeah. the vinyl goes in and out all the and time. And I'm sure it's all available on our favorite streaming services. Uh, yeah. For free or nine dollars a month, if you want to hear it in stereo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, it is. it's kind of funny. Also, I uh, just looked over at Pat, and it reminded me the first day that I lived here. I moved to LA on a Sunday, and I opened up the paper, and I saw that the Nip Drivers were playing at oh, the Viper Room. Oh man! And I wow. immediately went down there. Like that day I arrived in LA, <laughs> I went to see. Were Nip you Drivers still in the band? The, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, speaking of Nip Drivers now, uh, there's a label called Snope Records that uh, is reissuing both albums. Well, I knew they were coming out. I didn't know who was putting them out. Destroy Whitey and Old Blessed Freak Show will yeah. see the light of day once again. Cool. So that's that Snope, S-N-O-P-E, records. I don't know who that is. Huh. Kurt, There's a lot of these little uh, vinyl-only reissue things that are here and there, and they, you know, they latch onto whatever their bizarre little favorites are, and make 500 of them, and out they go. Right. Well, I, I have the strictest confidence in these because uh, Paul Rossler is behind the the mastering and the. You well, know, he's the he's been recording Kurt. Right. He's so worked he's with been Kurt recording on all his yeah. his. Yeah. I met Kurt when we were. That's doing right. Church we were, of we were talking about Black Sabbath. He yeah. was going to go see Black Sabbath the next day. All right. There Speaking you go. of Black Sabbath, Ozfest was uh, a blast to play. Oh yeah. And Brujeria played the. That's uh, right. Nuclear blast stage, and uh, we threw a trump. We took a trump pinata and stuffed it. That was this year. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Back so wait, no, that was the Ozfest meets, uh, meets not not fest. fest. Yeah, How? Ozfest was Saturday, not fest was Sunday. Oh, it wasn't like kind of intermingled. No, no, just separate days. And this is still out at Glen Helen or whatever they right. call it this year. Right. 
Uh, so how how was it? Was it packed? Was it, it was it was like insanely it was a, packed, man. I was for you know thirty. I read thirty-seven, thirty-eight thousand. I haven't been to Ozfest in a long time. Yeah, it I'm trying was, to think of who the headliner. Oh, well, I think it was Black Sabbath. It was a heavy metal parking lot in in full effect. I'm sure. You know, just uh, yeah, trailers and you know, uh, beer pong tables set up and uh, yeah, just what just you know, nothing's changed. <laughs> nothing's changed in, in in terms of that. What's his cat doing? Uh, he's attacking your feet. Wow. Have you guys ever seen the uh, unreleased Penelope Spheres film about Ozfest? No. No, I didn't know there was such yeah, a thing. It's worth looking up. Well, how would you find it? We sold our soul for rock and roll. Uh, through dubious means, someone someone gave it gave me a copy. It's of not it. like a YouTube rarity or anything. I don't know if it's on YouTube or not, but someone gave me like a digital file of the film, and it's uh, it's great. I think it was originally supposed to be like the fourth. Uh, decline of Western civilization. Well, the third one didn't really get much attention either. No, that's I that, saw that in the theater when when I first for a day. It. It's depressing, yeah. man. It, it's, it's very not, depressing. Yeah. yeah, we did the end title music, so yeah. I went to the uh, I went to the screening, and I was like, uh, oh, this isn't quite what I. Yeah. Where do. was that screening at the New Art Theater? Where was that screening? Uh, I'm gonna, boy, that's been a long time. I think it was at the New Art, although yeah. I'm not 100 percent sure. It was a good final conflict ago. footage in that. Yeah, definitely. With that Travis Johnson. I was thinking that was last night. Oh yeah? yeah. All right. Had dinner with him and his wife Beth. And He's long it, gone from the Dickies, correct? Who? Travis. Oh, I don't know. He, oh yeah, he's he's Travis is back in Birmingham. Oh. Yeah. Well, he was running a, a whole bunch of uh, GIT over here. Right. The music he was Institute. doing uh, yeah for years. Yeah. I didn't know he. I didn't know he yeah. moved. Well, Ron Martinez. I thought he lived in Austin. Uh, he's living he's, in Long Beach, I think. Wow, he's back in town. All right. Yeah. I'm not sure if anyone's supposed to know that. I did not know that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's probably there. Yeah. He was king of Austin for a while. But well, Pat, you had, you had mentioned this earlier, and I think it's worth bringing up uh, your days uh, behind the mic at KXLU and just. Oh yeah. And what an important part of. Everybody's upbringing and just fortification, KXLU has that been was, uh, in so many ways. Those were the days, Adam Bomb days, Final Countdown. That was 1984. And were you a student there, or yeah. did you just you had to be in those days? You had to be a student because that's no longer the case. No, no. Any uh, any aspiring aspiring Casey Kasem can just waltz into the KXLU office and. I don't know how that would, you know. I think the thing is, then, yeah, you had I to think be you have to be a student to be on during the day. Okay. I, it seems to, because when I listen to it, it seems a little bit more disorganized, a little bit more making it up as you go along, and then when it hits 6 o'clock, it seems like a lot of the vets are on. Right. they got the, all the class, they've got, there's some, the, someone told me the guy that's been on the longest, like, I think it goes back to the 60s, has one of the classic music shows at 6 o'clock. Like, because wow. I thought Stella was the as far back as anyone went. You know, there yeah. Is like one Stella, or two more. Stella is. I thought she. Uh, I'm with you. I thought she had the the the, the crown. Thirty year, thirty plus years. Yeah. Thirty. She, she DJed our wedding. I inter, I introduced her as the person who's been on LA radio continuously longer than any other individual. Yeah. But which uh, I think, unless I'm wrong about this guy on the classical one. I know if he's been continuous. I remember Eva Gampel 
was the classical per the, the the lady that you know older lady that ran the classical show right before the the, the final countdown would start, and she was so shocked that there was no buffer zone. It was just like it was one just from one extreme <laughs> to the other, and I and I would always you know the 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 opening song for the longest time was uh, the Social Distortion. Uh, 19, uh, 1945 yeah yeah because it starts with the you know the atom bomb line and she hated that she just hated it I don't think you so. could have probably picked one that she would have oh finally yeah you, <laughs> you got one I like here but uh, <laughs> may, yeah many great memories on that show you know lots of you know uh, appearances by Slayer uh, and there's one infamous Slayer show I, I, I need to find a way to get it up maybe just throw it on on YouTube with a Do you black have a, tape? a black screen. Yeah. Yeah, with Jeff Hanneman, you know, it was the the Hella Waits uh cool Hella Waits interview and and uh almost got thrown off the air. Then uh, uh, was so, it for profanity cuz you're not Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The FCC still has their rules. Got a got called on the carpet the next day by the uh Jesuit uh elite now, how, how did that go down? Do you actually have to go into an office and... Yeah, you had to go into an office and talk to a priest. And talk to a priest? Yeah, yeah. I had explain, I'd explain the cultural impact that this show sins. had, you know. And, and he and bought it? You, you not, that you're not, not, you're not talking to the priest as if you were in a confessional. You're, you're talking to what, the priest like as, a, as if you were in a business meeting. Well, you're in an office. Right? Yes, exactly. And, like right. more, it's it's more scholastic, but he's still in a priest outfit, right? Right. right. All right so, so there's that, and that's so two worlds there's colliding. There's that at stigma you. hanging over you from the, all the way back from Catholic school. So, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't trade those times for for anything in the world. El Duce had El Duce on many times, and uh, the Sicky and the and the crew, you know, heathen scum. And uh, anytime uh, Mike Muir had a new member of Suicidal, he'd call up and say, we've so got to introduce the new... So he's calling every week. <laughs> yeah, that would seem like that would be fairly frequent. Man, we were so envious of you guys in California back in the Midwest when we were kids because we didn't really have that. You know, there was a couple, Monty Connor, who right. was Roadrunner forever. Yeah. He may still be there. But uh, he was, uh, he had a He's nuclear blast, show. actually. And um, we used to get the the playlists from you guys and oh the uh, CM, the CMJ playlists yeah yeah and, and uh, you know it would be on a flyer like some you know people used to write letters on the back of flyers back in the tape trading days and I would see these radio playlists and just be like fuck we don't have anything like that here you know we but didn't have like a, you so wait were you in Chicago at the time or in Flint in Flint. Yeah. There must have been something kind of nearby that was like well, yeah, right in Flint. There was there was uh, um, a guy named Ben Hamper who had a radio show called Take No Prisoners. They played like punk and you know just he would just play weird shit, anything that came to mind for him. But it, well, there wasn't anything like you know just like a dedicated hardcore show or okay. anything like that. We did have some great DJs. I can't remember the station now, but there was a guy out of Detroit, the electrifying mojo who came on like late at night and he played funk. The electrifying mojo. He'd, like <laughs> tell people to flick their lights on and off if they were listening and he'd like look out the window of the station. Hey like, man, yeah. I see you man. Yeah. Cool so did you that. uh did you ever make it over to the freezer for the occasional negative approach show? No, that was like 
<laughs> I was just a little bit too young to, okay. to do that. I wasn't old enough to drive yet. Once I was old enough to drive, I started going to shows. Right. Because that, that place sounds, yeah. you know, yeah, Meat Men and, and... I saw lots of... I, I, I did see Meat Men and... Uh, uh, the, the negative approach broke up just before I discovered them. Right. And But I saw the Necros and I saw Meat Men. So were you having to go to Detroit to see these kind of things or would it, would it make it out yeah, of Flint? Yeah, yeah, usually Detroit. Everyone's, well, we did have shows in Flint too. There were a couple of people from a hardcore band called Dissonance that used to put on shows all the time. We yeah, didn't have a venue that anyone could play? Not a venue, no. We uh, would rent halls. All in right. fact, we rented uh, a... A Ukrainian banquet hall and put on a Slayer show. That's funny. One yeah. of one of the greatest hardcore shows that ever happened was here at the, at a place called the Ukrainian Cultural Center. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was a, the bad one of the first times. Yeah, the bad yeah. Brains. Played. That was on Melrose, right? Yes. Yeah. Right near Vermont, and uh, Bad Religion, yeah. uh, Bad Brains, Lewd. Yeah. Yeah, at the Ukrainian Hall in Flint, Michigan. Uh, over the course of about three years, suicidal tendencies, Black Flag twice, St. Vitus, Slayer, all kinds of bands came through there. I oh, can't forget about the, the Fix from Lansing. Either. Yeah. Great band. Yeah. But you grew State. up here. I, I was born so and raised here. So you always had yeah. access to, as soon as you could get somewhere. Yeah. I used to take the bus to uh, the mask shows. Well, the last mask. The, on the, Vine? The, the Vine in yeah. Santa Monica, where the Beef Bowl is right now. Yeah. And uh, probably the greatest show to this day I've seen was there, and it was uh, the first time the Dead Kennedys played in L.A. Wow. And the Germs headlined, but Dead Kennedys just destroyed everything that night. Just unbelievable. Just, you know, really tight. And the Jello showmanship. I took. I have photos that uh, I throw up every once in a while. But that 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 was a place. Brendan, man, Brendan Mullen. That was. Uh, rest he was in an peace. amazing booker. Yes, I mean, he absolutely. He, but it wasn't just punk. He knew. He just knew music inside. Well, it. he took over the lingerie yeah, thing. And, he had great shows. Then. And the funk. He was really ahead yeah. of his time on the you know the LA funk scene. He had Sun Ra at yes, the lingerie. Yeah. Didn't he bring Fella? Ah, uh, so, boy, you know he might have. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I should know that. But he I had a hand in it. I'm sure. That would make sense. That was at the Palladium, I think. Yeah, yeah. he was into all of that. Incredible. Or the Olympic. Can't remember. Remember the Olympic Auditorium? I was down in Riverside. And we I didn't remember, have anything. I remember the Flyers. Slayer, Rain and Blood. Yeah. There, show there. That was uh, hell on earth, man. <laughs> The only thing we had when I was a kid, oh, well, not, not even really a kid anymore, there was, you know, we had the Swing Auditorium, which was amazing during the 70s, but um, airplane crashed into it later. But uh, there was a, when, when I lived downtown Riverside, there was a club across the street called Squeeze's Place, which was run, the, the band that ran it had, there was a band called Squeeze, right before there was a band out of England called Squeeze, led by a musician, a bass player, who also booked the club, named, are you ready? Nicky Six. He spelled it differently, but of course, <laughs> that's where Nicky Six now you, got his name. You played on uh, on an episode of The Gong Show. That was around that time. I still live in Riverside. So we had a call. That, that's right? true. 
Uh, Elsa still finds it on YouTube somehow. So I, if you, you can find it. I don't know what it's called. What was that like? Oh, it was insane. Uh, in fact, one of the times we went down there, another person, another band that was, well, we did like a daytime one. And so they would herd you in and out. It, it was quite a cattle call. But if you did pretty good, they would have you back for a nighttime one. And then what we didn't know is when you're on the nighttime one, you suddenly you're getting all the uh, union wages. So you're getting like session musician pay and all this. It was pretty cool. And one of the other musicians and bands that was going to be on the Nighttimes one when we were all, you know, herded together backstage uh, was Sister, which was Blackie Lawless's band before Circus, Circus, right. and Wasp. And he was, you know, that's his thing was uh, eating worms. That was his gimmick. So that's what got him into uh, <laughs> Chuck Barris's universe. It seems like Chuck Barris would have been a gas to hang out with. Uh, when he's not busy, you know, bumping off people in the middle, oh, of, right. you know, in Eastern Europe or whatever it was, <laughs> if, you, if you believe any of that. Yeah, so it was pretty incredible. But we had a thing in Riverside across the street at the Squeezes Place Club, New Wave Tuesday. And so our only like peek into like what was really happening, a little bit like uh, Black Flag with Keith, Rubber City Rebels, uh, you know, some pretty good, uh, 999. I was kind of shocking some Naughty stuff Sweeties. Came. Yeah, Naughty Sweeties. Yeah, all the New Wave stuff that played at the Troubadour. The Furies. Yeah. You know, the Cats and that kind of stuff. But great bands. Uh, anyway, well, I feel like we're kind of grinding down, uh, getting God, near the hour mark. I'm wow. going to have to like uh, slice and dice from Time here. Time flies. Uh, anything else anyone wants to mention on a way out? Parting little promo shot of anything uh, anybody wants to sell? Feel free. Santa Sabbath. Santa Sabbath. There you go. Tell tell us where we can see it and when it's coming up. Uh, Santa Sabbath uh, Christmas Extravaganza at at uh, Nila, uh, December 17th. All right. That's Mark Club, your calendars. That's Club Nila, Northeast Los Angeles. There, uh, it's on uh, right off of Cypress and Division. Yeah. In, uh, you guessed it, Northeast Los Angeles. So. What do they call that area there? It's not quite Mount Washington. Uh, Cypress Park. Cypress Park. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think it's got a name. Scott, anything you? Any parting gifts from you? Uh, I guess I could plug uh, Heavy Tuesdays at Footsie's. Of course. It's a local Tuesday institution. night at Footsie's Bar on Figueroa. You could find myself and Tom Neely, and uh, who does the Henry and Glenn comics and the humans, and Jay Bennett from Decibel Magazine and all kinds of great bands like um, Ides of Gemini, who have a new album coming out next year on Rise Above Records, and uh, Mustard Gas and Roses and... Uh, Black Mare, so we're all down there every Tuesday, and there's all kinds of guests. You might, one of you guys might pop in. Love to do it. To do some Absolutely. DJing. We've had uh, in the past, you know, all kinds of uh, bands and musicians and writers and artists uh, guest DJ with us. And, and it's a night of all metal, or at least the heavier side of rock. Yeah, it's just it's just heavy rock. Like it, a lot of times, I guess it gets pigeonholed as a metal night, but really, you'll hear everything from like glam to heavy psych from the 60s and just whatever we feel like playing guitars with a little bit of gain it tends guitar music is yeah, yeah right. basically what it boils down to sir lord baltimore there you go yeah dust yeah yeah all right all right let's call it a day thank you say good night everybody good night thank you for listening to the tone duff sessions a feature of rare bird radio next up Stephen McDonald of Red Cross, the Melvins, 
off and my personal mosh pit buddy 